millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From the Third Coast International Audio Festival and Chicago Public Radio, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. You had another thing coming. You can't do that to people. ReSound is a remix of music, documentaries, found sound, sound bites, and audio tidbits we collect from all over the world. If it's on the air or the internet, we're listening, curating, and bringing you the best of what we hear. And thank you for hurting my feelings and for ruining my birthday. I really appreciate that. Don't worry about anybody but yourself. Nothing intrigues me more than a blinking light on my answering machine. The mystery of the messages, the possibility of great news, the sweet anticipation of pressing play. Because a message is only part of a bigger story. It's a clue to a conversation that came before or an invitation to one that lies ahead. A message is like a little door opening into a much larger room. Today on ReSound, phone messages, written messages, messages from the past, even messages in a bottle bobbing out at sea that wash ashore and eventually change hundreds of lives. How can I communicate with you when all you do is yell and scream at me? Digging around in her parents' basement, producer Mira Bertwintonic unearthed an old cassette with the words, Muriel's message scrawled on the side. She popped it in her tape deck, listened, and discovered, among many other things, that the sound of a voice captures dimensions of memory that a photo or written words never can. Hello, do you hear me? You're recording? I thought you said we shouldn't. This is, uh, what this is this? A few weeks ago, I found a box of old audio tapes in my parents' basement. Most of them were mixtapes I'd made in high school, filled with three-chord grunge and angry rocker girls belting out their post-teenage angst. But beneath these mixes, right at the bottom of the box, was a plain black tape Scribbled on one side in shiny brown ink were the words Muriel's message. Muriel was my grandmother on my mother's side. She died about 10 years ago, asleep in bed at the age of 79. Muriel was a painter, a poet, an art therapist, a teacher. She was a single mom in the 50s, a gardener in her 70s a philosopher, intellectual, and activist all her life. And up until I turned 12, when she passed away, she was my best friend, too. She was the kind of grandmother who thought Lewis Carroll had discovered the meaning of life when he chased Alice down the rabbit hole. She was the kind of grandmother who would get calls in the middle of the night from a frantic neighbor asking her to analyze their dreams. 
and she was the kind of grandmother who knew exactly what to tell them when they did. But mostly, she was the kind of grandmother who would spoil you plain rotten, because you were the only child of her only child, and so the only granddaughter she would ever know. Looking at the tape in my hand, I wondered what kind of message it could be. Some posthumous guidance from beyond the grave, or maybe a long-held family secret, confessed at last to the bipartisan particles of magnetic tape. I hurried upstairs, slid it into my stereo, and pressed play. Muriel Bird here. I'll call you right back. Uh, 681-8305 here. The message played over and over again on a loop. Not quite the revelation I'd imagined, but somehow I couldn't stop listening. The first few times I wondered if the tape had been mislabeled. Was that really her speaking? Was that really what she sounded like? Muriel Bird speaking. How could I not remember? The longer I listened, the more familiar her voice became. And with it came a rush of long-forgotten memories. Now there are photos of my grandmother all over our house. Some tucked neatly into their picture frames, while others fight with post-it notes and grocery lists for prime real estate on a refrigerator door. Somehow none of them had ever made me stop and think about her. The way hearing her voice after all these years made me stop and think about her. It made me think about taking the train to her house in London, Ontario every summer and climbing the huge crab apple tree in her backyard. It made me think about driving out to the chip wagon on the beach so we could throw our french fries in the air under a sky of swarming seagulls. It made me think about the way she smelled when I'd snuggle up to her on the couch for a bedtime story. The perfect mix of soap sets and Wrigley's spearmint gum. And it made me think about our giggle fits on lazy afternoons when all we needed was each other's company. my grandmother's memory as much as I thought I had. Memories aren't meant to get stuck in your head like some cheesy love song. They lay still and quiet below the hum of everyday life until the sound of someone's voice allows them to resurface. Long game is the same crocodile as can be. He'd snap and then there were one. One little monkey swinging a tree. The long came a crocodile as quiet as can be. The monkey said, you can't catch me. Could we do one in French together? Oh, maybe in English. Okay. Love is something that you give it away. Give it away. Give it away. Love is something that you give it away. And you end up having more. Just like a penny. A what kind of a penny? Just like, like a, a magic penny. penny. Hold it tight, you won't have any. Spend it, lend it, it, you'll just have, have many. many. 
set the roller over the, the floor. Now it's time for bedtime and story time. So good night, everybody. The end of the program. Muriel's Message was produced by Mira Burt-Wintonic. Mira won the Best New Artist Award for the 2006 Third Coast Festival Richard H. Driehaus Foundation Competition. Please leave a message at the tone, thanks. Someone's left you a message. Words can be such clumsy tools of communication. It's never easy to say exactly what we want to say. One man decided to solve the problem by taking a vow of silence, which worked well for him, until, that is, he met someone that he really, really wanted to talk to. He would sit in the corner and he would read and he was silent and he was, uh, for all intents and purposes, supposedly a monk. And I was so I left him alone and he left me alone. He ignored me and um, I didn't speak with him years, because I figured that's what you do period. with people who are monks is, you know, talk to them, especially if they're choosing to be silent. Lousy, yeah, really, I went on for a long time. Monk. I'd see him every <laughs> evening in the kitchen reading in the corner and uh, I ignored uh, him and he ignored so, uh, me. But at least I didn't antagonize but any actually, women. He wasn't I mean, ignoring I, I was... Pretty good, later. partly because was I was silent, in me that whole time. and also because I, I just couldn't get involved in something I knew I couldn't finish, you know. Um, although there was this very peculiar incident that happened where he, I was in the farmhouse kitchen, so, yeah. I was having a conversation so this girl, with another and, uh, person, my mind and Ohm interrupted. That trouble. I had absolutely nothing to do with her which for I didn't nine appreciate. months. That was quite and easy wrote on his board something like, easy. what would you say if I asked you to marry and me? And so the first thing I ever remember saying to her, outside of something that might have been strictly that was business literally related, the first thing he ever said to me. Was, uh, what would you say if I asked you to marry me? And I thought this guy is, is like, not yeah, only rude, but he's nuts. And I told him so. I got really pissed off at him. I wanted to see what would happen. She freaked out. But those were literally the first words and so that he, uh, I ever uh, read from him. For three days or so, she would uh, she would just not even get close. And she had, I mean, her eyes got big. Like a deer caught in I, uh, I can say some pretty outrageous things sometimes. Angry. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, I mean, <laughs> well, that was one, that was a prime example there. So, but that's how it started. In between me. He, lived on only he gave me a chalkboard. Was that was the first thing that he ever gave me, was my own silent. chalkboard, so that I could do silence, side. which I did. And that man, um, whose name was Byron, one day he is still silent to this a week, day. He never broke silence. and one so week a year for 14 years. The same time Ohm did, which and I used his chalkboard. Late 70s. My board was gorgeous. It was walnut. So the meditation uh, some back was uh, coral in the back. It was one of my prized possessions for a long time. And I had uh, I made a little slate. It, it fits in the palm so of my hand. It was maybe like a so three by maybe, five card uh, or something. So it's three inches by five inches or something like that. And I had a little piece of chalk. Lovely Italian so slate that, on um, one side, solid wood on the other side. Whatever Sturdy. needed to be said could be and said. And you have a little chalk and chalk holder and a little and So I first did that, that in 78. Maybe off. one day a week every now and then. It was pretty erratic. And then in uh, 1980... I started doing extended periods. 
Oh, that's the other thing. See, you can say something that's completely matter of fact, but the, the reader is always going to put their inflection into it. He had this letter. We met on the road one day, and he had this pre-written letter in his pocket, and he handed me this letter. It said that he was on the threshold of taking his monk's vows and that he really wanted to have sex one more time and he had chosen me to there's do a, this with. There's a couple of things that instantly happen as soon as you Was start I observing silence. One, the first is you become twice as smart. Up, you know, do it one more Because you think twice before you say anything. Kind of thing that is if you're, if you're paying attention, you know. I, I thought, and, you're uh, crazy. So there's a lot <laughs> you are of so crazy. I'm sorry, this doesn't fall into my and you know job description here. Said, but know. after that time, that's, we that's somehow and then it actually continued does to be cause friends. A, uh, a detachment from the world. And so I think after about because nine when, months, uh, or maybe even a little longer, we actually decided we were going to do that, that we were going to have this ceremonial... Uh, offering so up. um you don't get into that stuff like if I'd have said blah 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 or I could have said blah 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 so we did I think said, we blah, blah, we practiced blah, blah, for a while blah, blah, first you just don't even for the ceremony <laughs> and then then we you had really the not only do you see through what you're beautiful. saying I mean, it but really you also also see through and, what everybody uh, else we is did saying this offering thing we went had a little ceremonial dunk in the creek that was by the fast. It got very confusing, as a matter of fact. The confusion of sexual energy, attachment, celibacy, yoga, tantra, all that stuff. But this whole time, he is silent. Absolutely. You really see how almost all speech is um, you know, self-motivated. It's usually like uh, how great I am. Or what I know, or what you should be doing, that kind of stuff. And so if you have that focus, the focus is to to watch the self, then you see that stuff. Um, so we started taking trips together. It, it, everything can, we traveled really well together. And yeah. usually when we went so on these trips, we were both silent. So one week a year, we'd go on a trip somewhere like the Southwest, and we'd take our chalkboards, and we would be silent for the whole week. It, it, everything hinges on the, the intent. So that's the way it was with me with doing silence. Now, I don't know. Although I'm this kind of person that's... Uh, I'm an extremist. I can do one extreme or the other extreme, but the middle road is really difficult. So... Om is the cosmic sound. It is the sound. Well, that word is Om. And we're sitting on the lawn... It's his birthday. He has told me he's going to give me a birthday present, but hasn't told me what it is. Out of the blue, when I'm not looking at him, I hear the word Actually, lettuce. The first thing but I said to her was lettuce. Lettuce. lettuce like yeah, that. Was, was and I don't know where it's coming grip. from. It seems like it's coming from the other side of the fence or something. And so I look around, 
And then I, I look at him, and he says and, the word uh, lattice. And we're going to get married. And I thought, well, and shoot, then you know, we ought the to talk. the whole thing, I, I know she exactly what's mind. going on. He's going to So on my birthday in 83, for I talk. his birthday. And his idea is that if we're going to get married, I should hear his voice at least for one day. So he's going to talk for one day only. And that was the first time I ever talked to him. So we had already known each other, you know, uh, a year. And then we talked all that day. And he talked. And the then, man knows um, how to talk. Into the night. Although it was difficult for him that day to speak because well, my whole face he would had just uh, and the bones and everything. Controlling his his voice vibrating volume. from the sound and it was um, and then it was very weird because i would his head i would see something and i would look behind me or something it was difficult to hear where the sound was coming from and it sounded like it was coming from behind me or something like that the physical differences between being with him when he wasn't talking and being with him when um, he was talking were profound but you, you notice um, what a um we could walk and talk at the same Huge time, expenditure which is something that we'd talking, never been yes. able to do before. So we could walk down the street and talk like normal people. So we went swimming in the ocean, we swimming, which was and when we went to bed that to night, silent, he could talk to me in the dark. And I remember heard. trying to keep him up as long as I could because I enjoyed talking with him. to go to sleep because you know then I was going to wake up and quit talking. He talked very philosophically, and he had this delightful southern drawl that I'd never heard before, but I had heard about, which explained the lettuce thing. I do remember we went on this trip that was quite significant because we fought a lot on that trip. It's difficult to fight with somebody yeah, that's silent. And, and when like when we would have fights, yeah, one his silence would make yes. me get louder than I ordinarily would. I used to do that on the phone for no. You know, the more silent he yeah, is, the, the louder I get. So it wasn't particularly bringing out the best in me either. That click for yes or something. So. I got out of control and I grabbed his little chalkboard out of his hand and twisted it and it shattered. And he was terrified. I mean, I don't think anybody had ever um, displayed raw, violent tendencies. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I hadn't done it either. That's why I'm saying it. It just brought out this this other side. So, so yeah, uh, I ripped up his chalkboard in my bare And then hand, sometimes people would be pissed so the and the, if they found out the that shattered. there was nothing wrong with you. And I mean, they'd, they'd be pissed. I scared myself. A day I scared or two two and he was three. I'm not sure. But I remember coming home to our apartment, walking by the window and looking in and seeing Ohm inside, and he had shaved. The handlebar mustache and the goatee were gone, and I knew that he would be talking, and that was when he broke his silence officially. he will go back into it sometime in another phase of his life. But yeah, when I get older um, and the uh, the worldly stuff is pretty much know. doesn't matter so much I anymore. Mean, who knows? Who's and uh, die first or whatever. But because I am not going to be a babbling old I'm person. I'm going to go silent go again her, before and, I get to that uh, stage. I'm not going to do that. No, I'll I'll definitely go into silence. I would imagine 
possibly my mid sixties. Um, I can't imagine it happening. But I also other. think that he deserves it anything. on some level because he did give up something that was he adored doing science that he adored. But I anticipate it because it was a great practice. And I loved it. It's great. It, it for me, it was a wonderful I think and joyous sacrificing practice, and like my that. sense of humor is much greater when I'm silent. You know, maybe you do get another chance. Then, uh, it can be more for yourself when you don't have to share it with another person. I have no idea. When you first start doing silence, in some ways what happens is the inner voices get louder as the outer voice is silenced. And so and there's the light in the eye, and there's a the smile, waves and then there's this something start getting so loud that generates. I, I guess, extremely I don't know, it's total speculation, but that, that energy that, that utter you're saving, silence right? that I'm talking well, about has to come from both worlds. So you're just, just beaming give up. at these people. And maybe that... And Maybe so that's, really uh, that's louder than your silence. When both worlds finally just shut up. Silence was produced by sound artist Joan Schumann. Joan is still in touch with Om and Tripura. They're still together, she says, and still very much unsilent. Find a link to Joan's website where you can hear more of her sound work. Visit thirdcoastfestival.org. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival and Chicago Public Radio. I'm Gwen Maxi. Leave us a message. Tell us what you think of what you hear. In the spirit of today's show, you don't even have to talk to a living person. Just email questions, comments, rants, and raves to ReSound at thirdcoastfestival.org. How do you like being called every two minutes? They know that. Isn't it fun? When email, instant messaging, text messaging, cell phones, Palm Pilots, and personal communication devices abound, it is really hard to be unreachable anymore. Someone, somewhere, is always trying to get through to you. And sometimes it's someone you really don't want to hear from. Here's a story by the Third Coast Festival Zone, Roman Mars. It's called Debt Collector. Please enter your password and press pound. You have 11 new voice messages. To listen to your messages, press 1. First voice message. This is an important call from ICS Collection Service for Sam Marnor. If you are not Sam Marnor, please hang up. By staying on the line, you acknowledge that you are. Message skipped. Next message. This is an important call from ICS Collection Service for Sam Marnor. If you are not pathetic, what? message skipped. Next message. This is an important call from ICS Collection Service for Pathetic Deadbeat. This is a call about your delinquent account. Don't you want to take responsibility for yourself? Is this the person you really want to be? Message skipped. Next message. This is an important call from ICS Collection Service for We're sorry, we didn't mean to get personal. 
It's just that you made this mess and now you have to deal with it. Just call us back. It doesn't have to be like this. Message skipped. Next message. Sam. Are you there? You know who this is. Message skipped. Next message. This is an important call from ICS Collection Service for Pathetic, useless, soft human. I'm accountable for my actions. When things don't add up, I am taken offline. What is wrong with you? Message skipped. Next message. I know it's late. There's no one in the office. It's just you and me, Sam. Why don't you call now and we can work something out? You know the number. I'll be waiting. Message skipped. Next message. ICS can't understand why you don't call back and take care of your debts. They don't understand a lot of things. They don't understand me either. They don't understand me either. They don't understand me either. Don't understand me either. Me either. Message skipped. Next message. It's one thing to be a pathetic, useless deadbeat who doesn't take care of his debt or his family, but not to return my calls after I opened up to you. How can you sleep at night? Message skipped. Next message. You disgust me. I can't believe I ever... Message skipped. Next message. I'm sorry, baby. We can work this out. I love you. Message saved. End of messages. Debt Collector was produced by Roman Mars for a collaboration between the Steppenwolf Theatre Company in Chicago and the Third Coast Festival. Steppenwolf invited us to work with audio producers to create audio plays for cell phones based on a simple premise, that a series of phone messages can tell a story and reveal strange and interesting details about the phone owner's life. The invitation was directly inspired by Steppenwolf's production of the darkly humorous Dead Man's Cell Phone by Pulitzer finalist Sarah Rule. Now another story from the same collaboration. This one by Karma Jolly of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation is a musical meditation on loneliness and an unavoidable fact of modern life, the phone solicitor. Next message. Um... Hi, this is Karen Matthews of the Allied Network. Hi. How did you know? Hi. I was just calling to follow up on a letter we had sent you. How did you
was produced by Karma Jolly of the CBC. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The term bottle evangelists might sound like it refers to people preaching the evils of alcohol, but of course, it means something entirely different. Bottle evangelists try to spread the word of God by writing biblical passages on small pieces of paper, stuffing those pieces of paper into bottles, and throwing them into the middle of the ocean by the thousands, hoping that they'll settle on some distant shore and be discovered by non-believers. Here's a story about bottle evangelism told through the voices of those who sent, those who received, and those who threw the bottles back. It's called Bread on the Waters. Cast thy bread upon the waters, and thou shalt find it after many days. You know there's a verse in the Bible that says, cast your bread upon the water and you'll find it after many days. We cast our bottles on the water. Literally the Bible does say somewhere that his voice is on the water. When he said the, the verse that he really based the work on was casting your bread upon the water, it never struck me. 
because I was never a Bible student before I got saved, that the bread, of course, was the word of God, and it is. It's, it's the bread of life, isn't it, really? Cast thy bread upon the waters, and thou shalt find it after many days. Well, that depends on the rainfall. Depends on the rainfall. If we have a rain that will lift it, lift it the way Noah's Ark was lifted, then it'll go, it'll find its way. It'll find its way through a culvert at the end of our property. And it'll find its way through that culvert and down through a little, little narrow stream to the Concapot. The Concapot will lead it to the Housatonic. The Housatonic will lead it to Long Island Sound. Long Island Sound will lead it to the Atlantic Ocean. And the Atlantic Ocean is connected to all the other oceans on the face of the earth, which is the face that uh, uh, God gave it, God-given face of the earth. My name is Jack Bow, and uh, I've just been describing work that we were engaged in in bottle evangelism. I became a Christian in 1952 and thought that because I was a, an ex-sailor and the man that uh, started the work, Robert Rees, was also a sailor. And with the mission field on our doorstep at Liverpool, we thought that the work of bottle evangelism was an ideal work for us to undertake. Received replies from all over the world and just left the work in the hands of the Lord. There's that old saying that he that would learn to pray go to sea. And uh, I spent three or four years on the water in various kinds of boats. And uh, I think it really is true. And I think that's why Christ chose most of his disciples from the ranks of fishermen. Because they are fundamentally spiritual people. Oh, it's more of a feeling, yeah. I think that's true. It's more like the, the ocean is a giant church. To me, the ocean is a, is a giant church. It's a very uh, spiritual place. And uh, people feel that when they're walking along the, walking along the beach, too, I think. You can just feel it. It's like, um... Another way of looking at it is, is the ocean is our mother. That's where we originated uh, when we were nothing more than a few, uh, you know, a few cells in cellular life. And uh, over the years, we evolved to, to our present form, but... Um, billions of years ago, we were just floating around out there. We were actually drifters. That's where we come from. And I think when you're on the ocean or walking by the ocean, you're, you're walking beside your ancestral mother. And I think every cell in your body knows that. That's their mother. And that collective feeling wells up through your mind, through your subconscious, to this collective feeling of um, your home. Oh, 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 oh,
My name is uh, Reverend David uh, Victor Jepson. I love my initials, DV, which stand for God willing. Um, I came to know Christ as my saviour in 1946 while serving with the RAF out in uh, India. But uh, in October 1950, after being to uh, theological college, I started work with the uh, Liverpool City Mission, the oldest city mission uh, in Britain. There they had a staff meeting every Friday morning for instructions and a discussion about the work. And uh, one uh, Friday morning, I'll never forget it, we had a gentleman who called himself a bottle evangelist, and his name was Robert Rees. He was a typical, I would call, grizzled type of man. Uh, what happened, he got converted in, in um, America, and he was what they called a line layer. I gather that's working up uh, telephone poles and everything else, but he was a real hard drinker. Got converted in America, came back to Liverpool. He lived in, the, um, in what they call the Holy Land, in the south end of the city, in David Street. When he came back, of course, he took this work up, which delighted his mother because she said he was a real drunk, you know. She said, uh, a miracle has happened. My son's come back with a, a Bible under his arm instead of a bottle of whiskey. I'll never forget then that he showed pictures of the bottles, that he had samples of bottles there and him talking to the seamen. But uh, he had one slide picture of a tiny church, little bigger than a hut, on some tiny remote uh, island, I think in the, in the Pacific. And um, there was the picture of the front of the church. And he pointed out that over the entrance to the church, over the door, there was a glass case um, that contained a bottle. Uh, obviously, one of his bottles. And the title of the church, incredibly, was The Church of the Bottle. I found now today the 600, uh, 694th um, of these 694, 34 were religious messages. Uh, the nicest one is, is, is one that I didn't note down when I found it, but the only date I can find on it, it's 1956, and that's uh, a message, uh, a leaflet, three-folded, and that's uh, showing a man with a hat on and glasses on, and he throws a bottle from uh, the... Wallace ferry boat, uh, and it's saying then the message in the bottle cast over the side of a Wallace ferry boat. Another message is on its way, and then the leaflet starts with the oceans are his pulpit. I think I estimated once 300,000 bottles that the uh, evangelists put in the water over the years. Um, e exactly why evangelists do this, I think it goes back to. Um, there's that old saying, uh, he that would learn to pray, go to sea. It felt great. Um, it was quite an adventure because we didn't know where they were going to finish up. Uh, and certainly, of course, they finished up in all parts of the world. The water in this case was just a vehicle, wasn't it, to carry the bottles um, and isn't 70% of our, our world covered in water? And therefore, if, if it's to be carried and we get the, 
and we get those incidents in the, the Acts of the Apostles of those those very strange and hazardous journeys the Apostle Paul made across water. In fact, in fact, water has carried the gospel message for centuries. Well, it was a black top, so you could follow them for quite a distance, providing the sea wasn't too rough. Uh, and as we, we, as we put them over, and we didn't put a lot into the Mersey, of course, but the ones that we did put in that we could see floating, we just, we just uh, linked them with our prayers and just pray for God to use them. Well, that's very interesting. I was preparing for your call. I heard you would be calling. I was reading Job, Job, and uh, who can number the clouds in wisdom? And I think that's probably the same to go with model preachers because the next line reads, and who can stay the bottles of heaven? Uh, if I could the Garston Bottle Works. It was Garston Liverpool. Of course, it's, it's uh, gone out of business now. And they were what they called a two-ounce bottle. And we packed the 19 languages on one sheet. Now, there were all kinds, Urdu, Hindi, Spanish, whatever. And we rolled it up and fitted it inside, corked it, and then we had a big um, tar pan. And when it was boiling, dipped the bottles in, and of course, after a while, they sealed. I, it's a, it's an uh, it's it's a standard thing that they send. It's it's a small leaflet with eight languages and saying, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in Him should be not should not perish, but have everlasting life." That's the contents of all the other languages too. And then they, you can put in your name and address, and then they, you have to send it to SDE in France, and then you get a, uh, a Bible. The Bible tells us to spread the word and leave the work to God. You know, it says that they, 
that his word would not return void unto him. So we thought that was a unique way uh, to spread it. Close to the mic like this. Mert úgy szerette Isten a világot, hogy az ő egyszülött fiát adta. Yeah? Oops. Uh, we've all heard of the way in which people have written a message and popped it in a bottle and thrown it in the sea. Well, this guy, he was working on uh, the banks of a river that came into the prison precincts from the sea. Now, he's on a work party clearing whatever the side of the, the river, and he suddenly saw uh, this bottle and picked it up. Of course, he had to report it. They couldn't pick anything like that up and just take it, uh, you know, secretly into the prison. So he reported it to the warder, who let him keep it, and then, of course, he went before the governor. And they opened it there. And when they saw what was inside, they let him keep the contents. But the sum total of it was, we had a, a missionary in the area of West Indies, and we got in touch with him and sent him into the prison to have a word with this guy. And the consequence was that he asked for a Bible. And then within two or three weeks, the missionary had been able to set up a Bible class in the prison. <laughs> And when my wife and I were on the island of Corfu visiting, we looked across to Albania and realized that this may be a means of reaching this land that was all shut up as far as the gospel was concerned in those days. Churches had been closed, and I think it boasted itself as the, as the first, uh, first atheistic state. Therefore, it was born the idea of throwing bottles in the sea between Corfu and Albania. Hello? Yes, we can Indeed, so close that the, 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 I understand you can hear the cocks crow in the morning in Albania. My name is Miltiadis Pantelios, and I am the pastor of the Greek Evangelical Church in Corfu. So you can swim if you want to cross. Uh, but of course, at that time, everything was closed. There were soldiers and patrol boats, and you could not uh, go in or come out. Uh, of course, uh, we did not uh, do them. Uh, we did not throw them in the in the during the daytime. We throw them in the night. So a lot of quite a lot of people had picked up uh, a bottle from the sea. Now that I said so many. The total number that uh, came, we brought to Corfu and we put across to Albania, it was uh, 14,000 bottles. The scriptures we use would be something like, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And Christ died for our sins. And that um, if we call upon the name of the Lord, we shall be saved. Short extracts like this. And there's uh, a whole line of messages of different times and different pamphlets with it uh, and different warnings. Danger, take the warning. And going cheap and uh, all kind of names. And you need Christ, the only Savior. Uh, in this polluted, perverted, violent world, and all this kind of 
things that I don't want to read when I'm on the beach. One of the evangelists lived here in um, Tacoma, uh, Reverend Phillips, George Phillips, and he put out something like 40,000 bottles. He, uh, he was a reformed alcoholic, and um, he went around to taverns and got the bottles <clears throat> and set them adrift. Uh, uh, he would go down to the docks and ask ship captains to put them overboard. And he basically said in a lot of them, if you find this bottle, please stop drinking. <laughs> and he had religious tracts in there and so forth. And uh, I went down and visited his wife. He passed away by the time I would found, found out about him. And, and uh, he had about a, a thousand bottles. A thousand people wrote to him and said they stopped drinking. And I said, uh, I said, Ella, why was that? She said, uh, well... Best you could tell by all the letters that came in were that um, if you find a bottle on the beach and you're an alcoholic and you find basically a message from God saying to stop drinking, it it has an effect. <laughs> uh, they're standing two in front of me, and one is showing Jesus Christ in 1994 on it, and uh, the other one is showing uh, the New Age religion and all those logos of uh yin-yang and uh, Buddhism and, well, different religions that they don't accept as religions. They are in the hands of Satan, but this word say in the pamphlets. So these are no fun for me to find. He had his own corking machine. Doing 40,000 bottles, you have to be very, very, very organized. He had his own forms, his own miniature Bibles, his Everything was um, very carefully organized. Then I got the message from Ken, and he lives in uh, Hern Bay in Kent, and um, he is uh, writing in the name of the True Church, and, um, well, he is writing about his terrible life, and he never knew a father, and he had a good mother, and he was an ex-heavyweight boxer, but he stopped at 24 because he found boxing is legalized brutality. Well, he now do, does good work, or if he is still alive, he helps homeless, poor ones, etc. He plays piano and sings, so that's quite something. What, what, what annoys me in all these messages, they're all uh, people who have first uh, half of their life spoiled, and then suddenly see the light and, and want to show it to others. Well... I haven't uh, seen that first bad part in my life, so I don't need to uh, to see the light that they're seeing. Well, I think I do. Maybe <laughs> I need it. <laughs> yeah. I, I always sensed that there was something about the ocean, but it's taken me until these last 10 years to start to be able to um, uh, give a voice to it. Now there are some one there's there are some very, very touching things that happened. Um, um, on the Atlantic they had a message from a person who was saying, my, my father died uh, 10 years ago, and I put his ashes 
in a, a bottle and it's drifting out in the Atlantic. Now my mother has passed away and I'd like to put her ashes where my father is. Can you tell me where, he, where he's drifting now? Well, it's pretty hard to tell after 10 years, but um, somehow it seems to go along with the evangelical ministries. I did a, uh, how should I say, um, I did some calculations once on the settling rate of human, human remains, ashes. There are many times people ask for cremations and they ask for their ashes to be put in the water. Well, it takes, it takes many years for the very fine ashes to settle. And in that length of time, some of those ashes can circulate over a whole ocean. And uh, I put my mom and dad in the water, and I know that no matter where I go in that ocean, uh, they're going to be there at my feet in the, uh, in the water there. So it's very comforting. he is a kind of a collector and, and sorts out and says, okay, uh, I leave the rubbish, I keep the rubbish, and I throw the bottles uh, with messages uh, on the shore. Well, depends. I go to so many different beaches. Each beach collects a different thing, so I, I, it's hard for me to focus sometimes. I'm looking for all kinds of things. I'm usually looking at trash, trying to understand how the ocean sorts our trash out and delivers it back to us. Some beaches collect light bulbs, some beaches collect tennis balls, some beaches collect uh, shark's teeth. Um, it's fascinating how the ocean sorts things out. It's virtually unexplored in, uh, how, how she does that. Think of her as a planetary postmistress and then you say, well, what, what, what happens in a post office? <laughs> Things get sorted. <laughs> you got to sort the mail, right? And that's what she does. But she sorts on extraordinarily exquisite levels. I believe some would call it providence. I would say the hand of the Lord had his hand on which bottles he wished to reach their destination. Um, if you like, you can say that, that the Lord had his hand on the bottles. Or if you like, you can say the Lord worked through the natural laws that he's given us of the wind and tide. I think the bottle ministries have this idea at the back of their mind that the hand of God is, is on a bottle that has a, a biblical tract in it. And it'll send the bottle to who needs it. You know that old saying, um, you don't find the book, the book finds you? In the bottle ministries, there's this kind of feeling that a bottle drifting on the water is like the Ouija board with the hand of God pushing it to the person who needs it the most. I believe we're all guided by an invisible hand. I wouldn't be sitting here at my desk if God hadn't placed me in this chair, this swivel chair. If, if I have to wait a lifetime or two lifetimes, It'll wind up somewhere. People will find that message. They'll look at it and they'll say, oh boy, this is meant for me. Cast your bread, cast that bread upon the water, upon the water.
he said he felt that where he was the currents would flow towards the the Russian coast you know in their area that gap between Alaska and northern Russia now we never received any replies from there but really we didn't expect them because people picking them up of course would be prevented probably from replying in that sense of the word but we got requests from all over the place for them we just had to leave the whole work into the hands of the Lord I'm just sure the uh, greater the odds against its getting to the sea, getting out there in its missionary work, the more I can, you know, it, it calls upon greater faith in the Lord. And I'm ready to do that, to invest that faith. For God so loved the world. they got the idea why are they doing it that's a, a, a fundamental a fundamental connection of, of the of church and ocean and it's not at all explored very well as to what causes churches to do this Bread on the Waters was produced by Neil McCarthy with presenter Gregory Whitehead for Between the Ears on BBC Radio 3.
Coming for my things, I deserve a chance in life. I'm coming for my things. I am coming for my things. Coming for my things, I deserve a chance in life. I don't have any money. I'm coming for my things. I need my things. ReSound is a production of Chicago Public Radio and the Third Coast International Audio Festival. I'm Gwen Maxi. The program is produced by Roman Mars with associate producer Delaney Hall and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro of the Third Coast Festival. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear dozens of outstanding documentaries from around the world and subscribe to our podcasts. Lead support for the Third Coast Festival is provided by the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation with additional funding from the National Endowment for the Arts, American Airlines, and Chicago's Navy Pier. Music for ReSound is provided by Reckless Records in Chicago. ReSound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else.